Morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be able to continue in our journey in Luke's gospel. And uh, this morning we're going to look at prayer. And uh, we all in our lives uh, face certain exams. And exam is a daunting word. I know uh, it's not something that we look forward. And some of you may even have memories of uh, your school days and the exams that uh, you had to take, and they're often very intimidating. Well, actually, there are a lot of exams in life that uh, are very useful. I don't think any of us would like to be on the road uh, with drivers that don't pass an exam, that don't pass a driving test. I mean, I know that some of them look like they've never passed one, but that's another story. The reality is uh, that is a good exam because it evaluates somebody's ability to um, have understood what they need to do in order to safely drive on the road. And that's a a, a useful exam. I guess uh, some of you had had a vocational training. I I trained as a nurse a very long time ago. And uh, I guess if you would have seen me in in, in a white coat trying to draw blood from you, and you didn't know that I was qualified to do that, you probably wouldn't trust me to do that to you. There are so many vocational people who have to go through a certain training. You wouldn't want to receive counseling from somebody who hasn't been trained. You certainly wouldn't want to be seen by somebody of the medical profession who hasn't been trained. And in order to, to get to where they are and be in a trusted place, they had to take an exam and pass it and prove that they have the knowledge and the ability to do well. All sorts of exams in life. There are examinations that we have to go through because of our own health. And they are not pleasant, all of them. And it's a daunting time when the GP refers you for further examination from specialists. But actually, they are helpful because they will bring to light something that either isn't there and we need not to be worried about or something that is there and we need to have it treated. Have you ever wondered whether there is such a thing as an exam for our souls? Is there a way to evaluate our own spiritual lives? It's a good question, isn't it? And I think the topic that we're going to look at this morning, prayer, is something that functions like that. The good news this morning is that there is a possibility for every single one of us here to come under God's word and evaluate our spiritual life. The bad news is what we'll find out probably isn't great. It could be initially discouraging, but actually just like a good examination, will bring good fruit after that. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said these words, there is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. So let's put cards on the table here this morning. If we were to look at our own prayer life, and I don't know what your prayer life is like, and the advantage is you don't know what my prayer life is like. So we're kind of safe here in that sense. But we know 
I know and you know what our prayer life is like. And if my prayer life is a barometer for my spirituality, what does it tell me about how I'm doing on a scale of 1 to 10? How is my prayer life? Sometimes we can evaluate our prayer life corporately. Somebody, uh, and there's a variation of this sort of adage in church circles. Sometimes people say, the Sunday morning service reveals how popular the church is. The Sunday evening service reveals how popular the speaker is. And a prayer meeting reveals how popular God is. I don't know if it's true or not. One thing is sure, if we were to use the metric that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is using in terms of spirituality, and we were to safely not apply to our own lives, so we're staying kind of, you know, hidden here this morning, but if we were to apply to our own church, we would have in attendance probably around 200 to 220 people here. And on a regular prayer meeting, when we were in person only, we probably were hitting anything between 7 and 14, 15. On Zoom, it's kind of encouragingly higher. So I'm asking myself the question, if I'm to apply that metric and say prayer really reveals how we're doing spiritually, what does that tell us about our church? And I'm using the safe example of the church because probably it reveals the same thing in terms of minutes spent in prayer, time spent in prayer, the priority that prayer has in my life that our corporate life shows us as well. So let's start this morning with truth. Cards on the table. Prayer is hard. Prayer is a battle. Prayer is a challenge for almost every normal Christian that I know. There are Christians who I know who have a particular, I don't know what to call it, particular something where they find prayer easier than others. But the vast majority of us, and I'm including myself in it, not because it sounds good, but because it's true, we struggle with prayer. It's a real struggle. And I think it's a real struggle because there's something fundamentally significant about our prayer life. The biggest enemy that you and I will ever face in our spiritual growth is our pride disguised as independence. Did you get that? The biggest struggle me and you will face in our spiritual growth is going to be our desire to do things ourselves in our own strength, with our own resources, without anybody else's help, including God. And therefore, one of the greatest battles we face in our lives is our prayer life. Because the moment we bow the knee, metaphorically speaking, you might want to stand, you might want to sit, you might want to bow on your face, however you pray. But metaphorically speaking, the moment we bow our knee, we declare our dependence on God. And we declare that we are not independent. And we kick our pride into touch. There's no wonder there's a battle going on there. Because it's right at the very heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a surrender to God. To let go and let God. The second reason why I think this is very significant. There is no greater weapon 
that can be used against our enemy, described as three S, sin, self, Satan, then prayer. There is nothing that defeats Satan, sin, and selfishness, our flesh, as the Apostle Paul calls it, than prayer. There's no wonder there's such a battle going on. And there's no wonder we are struggling with it. So it can be easily explained. It is because it is fundamentally essential to our spiritual growth. And the enemy and our own sinful self is absolutely determined that we will not grow spiritually. And that's why we struggle with prayer. But there is another way. And there's no better place to go than to actually go to Jesus and see what he's teaching. Luke Chapter 11, the first four verses. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. I'm greatly encouraged that Jesus does help us with our struggle with prayer. And this is really, really something that we need to take to heart this morning. We may face the truth that prayer is difficult. We may face the truth that it's a personal challenge and maybe even a corporate challenge. But we're not helpless. And I'm not here to get you depressed. I'm not here to get you inward looking, feeling really bad about yourself. I'm here to try to delve into the words of Jesus and bring it to the light and say, we have help in terms of what Jesus is teaching us. And the first thing that really strikes me is that prayer can be learned. You see, the disciples had observed Jesus praying in a certain place. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus isn't just a teacher that teaches theoretically. He's a teacher who incarnates in his own life practically what prayer is like. And you and I, we know this instinctively. We tend to learn better from people that actually do it rather than people just to talk about it. So the disciples observed that Jesus is going to a certain place to pray. And there is something that must have been stirred in their own hearts. It would have been curiosity. Maybe they were just impressed. Maybe they just wanted to be deep down. They wanted to be like Jesus. And therefore, one of them plucks up the courage and asks the question. And he says, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. And then Jesus honors that request. And he does teach them. Which says to me that prayer is something that can be learned. And why is that really important? Because there are so many myths that are around prayer that we we pick up along the journey. Sometimes even before we become followers of Jesus, we pick up these myths and then they end up actually wrecking our attempt to develop our prayer life. One of the myths that very often is there is that It's a special gifting. And sometimes you think, I just don't have it. 
Barry, and I'm hoping there's no Barry in here. I keep using Barry. And Lorraine. You know, you see them. They go to every prayer meeting. Whenever there's a, there's a call out to pray for something, they're the ones that pray. And you look at them and you think, they've got something I haven't got. It's a myth. Barry and Lorraine learned to pray. Just as the disciples learned from Jesus, they came to him and they said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And then Jesus teaches them how to pray. Prayer is something that we can learn. It's not something that we're born with. And it's dangerous to have that mentality because we end up with a whole lifelong devotion to Jesus where we count ourselves out and we say, I'm just not like Barry and Lorraine and therefore I'm not going to pray because I haven't got it. There is no such a thing. There's only learning from Jesus. And that creates this, this myth that it's some sort of an exclusive gift that some people have. No, prayer is for every single one who's a disciple of Jesus. It's not an optional extra. It's not a gift that God gives to some and leaves others out. That's why the disciple comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus honors that request. The other dangerous myth is probably the very opposite of it. We somehow imagine that the moment we become a Christian, there's this automatic download within us. And we suddenly become these people who just know how to pray. And you don't. The disciples had been hanging around Jesus, listening to his teaching, observing what he did, but it didn't stop them from learning how to pray. They recognized that this was a process that they needed to go through. Let me tell you an an, an earth-moving truth. The moment I became a Christian and nine and a half years old, I didn't know how to pray. I knew a couple of prayers by heart that I had learned as a child, but I didn't know how to pray. Do you know how I learned how to pray? I went to church and I attended a church who had a morning service that lasted three hours. And after three hours, one hour was the church praying. That's how I learned to pray. Learning to listen to other people engage with God. That's how you develop your prayer. I didn't, I wasn't at nine and a half years old, set up sinners' prayers, woke up the next morning, and I was absolutely fluent in prayer. I learned. And so did the disciples. And my encouragement for us is to grasp hold of this truth and forget those myths. Forget the sense of, oh, I'm going to count myself out because I'm not like that. I find prayer difficult, therefore I'm not going to do it. We do this thing. I remember learning to, you know, my parents got me a guitar when I was six years old. Not a bass, a guitar, you know. And I took some lessons and I gave up really, really quickly. My excuse was my fingers are quite short. Not sure it kind of holds. But you and I, our life is peppered with these kind of stories. We pick up a skill, we go to a class, we try to learn a new language, and we give up so easily because we compare ourselves to other people. Let's not do that with prayer. Let's learn. Let's come to Jesus and say, Jesus, if the disciples came to you and wanted to learn how to pray, let's embrace the same process through which we are actually learning how to pray. Let's not expect that it's just going to happen like that because it's not. Let's not expect that it's not going to be hard work. Let's persevere. And that's what made a difference as the disciples came to him. And we're willing to learn. 
And then Jesus begins to teach them. And the first thing that he does, and there's two dimensions of this, one's vertical and one's horizontal. And Jesus says, when you pray, and by the way, this is not necessarily as something to just be copied and repeated word for word every single time. And this is the only way you pray. What Jesus did, Jesus gave them a framework. Jesus created an architecture so that they could learn. You know, it's like a house. A house needs to have a foundation. It needs to have certain supporting walls. And, and within those realms, there's room to improve and make the house look very different. Thank God not all houses look the same. Thank God not all prayers are the same. So what Jesus gives is his basic architecture in which he begins to speak. And the first thing that really strikes me, and it's, it's absolutely essential, prayer is about privilege. He says, when you pray, say these words, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Prayer is about the privilege. And it's almost, this is almost like knowing the password. I mean, everybody now is familiar with a password. Isn't it frustrating now, particularly of people of my generation? I wish I could turn the clock back. You know, you need to have a password for everything, you know, you're logging into your email, you need to know a password. You're logging into Zoom, you need to have a password. For everything, there's a password. And the more things you have, the more passwords you need to remember. This is the password of prayer. And it's realizing who God is. And that's what Jesus starts with. And he gives us two things about God's identity that are absolutely essential. They're the password we need to know. First of all, he, said, he says, Father. It talks about the relationship that is intimate. And let me say to you a truth that is really important to be reminded of this morning. You cannot truly pray unless you know God as your father. Unless you have a relationship with God and you came to a moment in your life where you accepted Jesus as your savior and you got restored into a relationship with God, and then you were able to call him Father. If you don't have that, you know, it's, it's like me showing up at Buckingham Palace at the gate and saying, I, I want to have tea with Her Majesty. They'll be looking at me as if I'm sort of, some sort of a madman and they're probably locking me up. I, I'm not entitled to that. I don't have that privilege. I can imagine Prince Charles could be turning up <laughs> to... Uh, the door of somewhere in Buckingham Palace and saying, I want to see, I don't know what he, mummy or her majesty or whatever he refers to her, whatever Netflix tell you he calls her. And he probably will have access. She probably will see him. Why? Because they have a relationship. And it's the same. Jesus is saying, when we come to God, we call him father. But that is only possible because of Jesus' own sacrifice. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about who we are in Christ, he describes the fact that before Jesus, before we, because we were in sin, we were enemies of God. Yet because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are able to be reconciled to God. And we don't just become sort of acquaintances to God. We don't just become friends of God. We are actually adopted in God's family and we're able to call God our Father. And actually, if you read the words that Paul is writing, it's even more intimate than that. It is Daddy, which was unthinkable. 
For a Jewish person who would have been so in awe of this almighty God that ought to be treated with reference. But Paul is using that to emphasize the level of intimacy that we have once we are in Christ. So that's the password. You cannot really truly pray unless you know God as your father, unless you have a relationship with God. Unless you came to a moment in your life, like I said to you earlier on when I was nine and a half years old, where I realized I was sinful and I needed forgiveness. And Jesus came to bring that forgiveness to my life. And I committed my life. I surrendered my life to him. And from there on, even as a nine and a half year old, I've been able to call without being a fraud, without being an imposter, I was able to be able to call God, my father, and I can do it to this day. So it's the password that unlocks the door of heaven, the opportunity of prayer. But the other thing that is revealed in what Jesus is saying, not just that intimacy that comes with knowing God as a father, but he says, your kingdom come, which suggests that he's also a king. So he's a father and he's a king. With a father, I have intimacy. With a king, we have authority. And that gives us great confidence that we come before him. He doesn't just care for us because he's our father and we're intimate with him. But he also can do something about it because he's the king who rules. And he has power and authority. And Jesus is teaching and saying prayer is a privilege. Why? Because you have access to the one who is both your father and your king. And that's a combination that is just dynamite. I mean, to have somebody who loves you, who can do something about anything, that is good news in whatever we're facing and whatever we want to bring in prayer before him. There's a flip side to the coin in knowing that he is king because Jesus is encouraging us to pray and he's saying, when you pray, pray, hallowed be your name, let your kingdom come. Actually, this changes the agenda. Our natural instinctive agenda is just selfish. It's selfishness 100%. It's all about us, if really honest. It's almost like when you have that, to make that awkward call or send that awkward email to somebody you've not spoken in a while, but you need something from them. And you're thinking, oh, this is rubbish. <laughs> you're going to know, Andy. We've not talked in a long time. And now I'm ringing you because I need something from you. That's, that's what we are like instinctively with God. It, we want to use him for our own benefits. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When you pray and you have a relationship with God and he's your father and he's also the king, the agenda changes. And it isn't just about what you want and what you need. It is about what hallows his name, what glorifies his name, and what furthers his kingdom. So it kind of changes the content of our prayer life. And I suspect that a lot of the times when I'm praying, A lot of the stuff doesn't get answered because actually I'm in that first category of I'm ringing a friend that I've not talked to in a really long time because I need him and I want to use him. Instead of this intimate relationship with day in and day out, we are spending time with God. We get to know his heart and we get to pray about what he cares. And when there's this beautiful intersection about what we care and he cares, again, that's dynamite. That's when the anointing happens. That's when the prayer answers come. 
when the two intermingle together in a beautiful way. And we can only find out how to pray for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done, as, as, as Matthew uh, recalls, for his name to be hallowed if we know who he is. And there's no greater place to discover who he is than this book. And that's why the two go hand in hand together. I'm going to say a little bit more afterwards. And this is a really important question that I must even just ask it now. I'd be gutted for you to go away from here and to think, I really want to pray. But to miss the first and most important point of knowing the password. And I want to say, if you're here this morning and there's nothing in the recollection of your memory where you could say, like I did, I, I could tell you right now exactly where I was, nine and a half years old, in the Danube Delta, you know, spending some time with a Christian family, reading a tract. A book that actually had just pages with colors. And at the end, there was a little piece of paper that explained what each page meant. I could tell you. Not 100% sure of the date. It was, I think, July. But I've got the booklet somewhere, so I can check it for reference. But I, I know it when it happened. If you can't tell me that there's a moment in your life where you can say, Christy, I know where it was. I was young or I was, you know, in my teens or I was in my student years or I was in my working life. And I know this happened. And your story will be so different than mine. It's probably incomparable. But there must be a moment in your life where you say, yeah, I realized I was a sinner. I realized I needed forgiveness. I accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And I surrendered my life, and ever since, I've been able to call God Father. I'm going to say to you, you need that password today. You need to know that. You need to take that first step. And at the end of the service, there's going to be an opportunity. Uh, as we offer opportunity for, for any prayer, for any prayer needs, for anything, you can just come forward, and you can have somebody in the prayer team just pray with you to make that first step. Or you can, maybe if you're with a friend or an acquaintance here this morning, you can just grab them and say, hey, I want to pray this prayer. I want to get that password to be able to call God Father and kickstart my prayer life. That's essential. And maybe for the rest of us who've been struggling a little bit with our prayer life, maybe we need to look at that aspect of King Jesus and kingdom and his name and his will and ask ourselves the question, is there that intersection between my life and the way I live my life and the way, what are the things that God is passionate about? And maybe there needs to be a realignment this morning on those kind of things. So that actually we come back to the sense of prayer is a real privilege. But also prayer is practical. Jesus, and this is the shortened, the edited version, this is the tweeted version of the, the, the prayer. You can find the longer version in, in uh, Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus is teaching them to say, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, and lead us not into temptation. It's very practical. As I said, the architecture that Jesus talks about is something vertical. It's about our relationship with God, but it's something horizontal about our daily needs. And what I like about Jesus is that he normalizes prayer and earths it in, in real life. Prayer is not something abstract and mystical. Prayer is about bread. And it's about sin. And it's about temptation. And he, he brings us part of that package 
both physical needs in the bread, and you can put in sort of bread, is probably metaphorically standing for anything that's trouble. Maybe your bills you need to pay, maybe a health situation, maybe a relationship that is breaking down. You can put anything, anything that it's a pressing physical daily need or emotional need. You can put that as part of the package. And you can pray about that. Jesus is saying, bring it. I want to know about your life. Again, a terrible, terrible undermining, prayer undermining technique that the devil has. He will say to you, God doesn't care about that. When you're driving on a motor and you realize you should be fueling up and you're about to go down. And you feel, I'm stupid. I can't pray about that. God doesn't care about my stupidity because I forgot to fill up for petrol. Yes, he does. I missed up an appointment with the doctors and I need another one. Of course, God God doesn't care about your stupid appointment. And, and, and you, you know, the NHS is really busy. God's not. Yes, he does. Everything, anything. And I love that about Jesus. Just prayer isn't just about the things that you think are lofty. It's the things that are real to you. Because that's what a relationship is all about. It's about an integrity, daily stuff. Mundane. And, and, and then Jesus adds to that spiritual issues, sin and temptation. He says, we're going to bring these to the table as well. And it's kind of a bit heavyweight here. Because he's thinking, Jesus, could, not, could you not just brought to the table maybe, let's just pray for spiritual enhancement and growth in discipleship and release of new gifts. No, 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 no. We're going to talk about sin and temptation. Why? Because it's real. God knows the person sitting in front of you and behind you and to your left and to your right. They deal with this. We all do. Sin and temptation. And Jesus is saying, bring it. Bring it to the table. Bring it in prayer. Bring it on your knees. And this is why... The Apostle Paul, when, when he writes to the Thessalonians, he writes some mind-boggling words. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he says, pray at all times or pray incessantly and pray, or pray without ceasing, whatever your version is saying. And you're thinking, what? Are you kidding? Why are you on? I'm not living in a monastery, you know, where I'm just all the time in contemplation and prayer. I'm living in real life. I've got kids to feed, nappies to change, shopping to be done. Work to attend to. It's just like never ending. What are you talking about? Pray at all times. But Paul is right. If we understand what Jesus is teaching, Paul is right. Because what Jesus is teaching is bring your whole life in prayer and make your whole life a prayer life. Everything. All that you are, your thoughts, your worries, your dreams, your aspirations, anything. Just bring it, the whole package, all the time. Make your life a prayer life. Just like you're breathing. Don't just try to do only certain moments in the day, but pray at all times. Live in prayer. Communicate with me. Talk to me. Listen to me. Let me hear you all the time. And that's why this is possible. Most of the time, you know, when the challenges come into our life, we either have the phone a friend kind of. So some of us are phone a friend type person. You know, and phone a friend nowadays is probably go on Facebook and put a cryptic statement, expecting people to jump on it and sort of give you sympathy. 
You know, I don't know what phone-a-friend equivalent is today. But some people are just quick to reach out for help. And that, by the way, that's not wrong. I'm not mocking it. Others just stew inside and just hold everything inside. And you worry about everything. You worry about your stuff. You worry about other people's stuff. You worry about the nation. You worry about Ukraine. You worry about the environment. You worry about uh, the missionaries. You worry about everything. And you just worry and worry and worry and hold it inside. And there's a way in which we can't always escape these easily. But we must learn that that's not right. Holding it inside or phone a friend, it's not the first step. Talk to God, pray at all times. That's the first step. With everything. With everything. I think our, not just our spiritual health, but our mental health will improve dramatically when we begin to discover this prayer at all times. Talk to God. Just bring it. Go crazy. All the time. Anything. Just dump it on him. It's crazy. He loves it. Most of our friends kind of can only take so much. Even our spouses can take only so much. God just loves this. He's, he's an addict for it. He just loves to hear from us. He just loves our honesty. Somebody was saying in a, in, in a podcast recently, <laughs> My God is a crazy God. He loves this high-maintenance, broken, sinful person that just keeps going to him. And he can't have enough of me. Wow. That's the invitation of open arms that God has for us in prayer. And that's why prayer is so, so special. I was supposed to bring a bell and I forgot. But it's almost like a reminder and an exercise. The moment you feel welling up yourself with anxiety about either yourself or the people that you love or the situation in the world, you know, imagine that you should be ringing a bell. It's interesting. The bells of the churches in the past had specific reasons for being there, often to call people to prayer and call people to come and worship and sometimes to warn them of certain dangers. And that's what kind of got my mind going. Or maybe it was a prophetic picture. But it's that sense in which every single time that happens, you know, maybe you need to get yourself a bell. And you should be ringing and you should be saying, time to pray. Time to pray. Time to pray. Time to pray. It's like that sign. It's like that invitation. And instead of seeing all those anxiety-inducing, challenging issues in your life as something that just eat you alive, see them as opportunities to grow in prayer. I'm guaranteeing us. If we begin to live like this, if we begin to practice this prayer at all times, if we begin to draw near in intimacy with God and begin to pour out ourselves and bring this high-maintenance, flawed, selfish, sinful person who doesn't always remember to learn the lessons, I'm telling you, we will develop the most amazing prayer life that's ever been. Because God loves it. And he's drawn to something like that. Corrie ten Boom, I won't go into the history of it. It doesn't really matter this morning, but she had this haunting. I remember reading this as a teenager, and it was a haunting, haunting question. She said, is prayer your spare wheel, spare tire, or your steering wheel in your life? Steering wheel or spare tire? Is it something that you use is absolutely essential to your life, or is it something that you just pull out or back whenever you need it? 
if you were to ask me, what would your dream be for your life, Christy, or for us as a church? And I would say I would love for us to grow privately in prayer. And that's invisible. We can't tell how we're doing in prayer. Only you and God knows that. I would love for prayer to be modeled in families. Your children and the generations will come will not just learn how to pray, but will learn about God by listening to you pray. I'm so glad I'm not a parent. No pressure there. But it's serious. You are the most anointed, influential person in their life. Although if they're in between the ages of 13 to 18, they probably daily tell you that they hate you. But you are. And you will be. So parents... Make prayer prominent in your life as a family. I'm not going to go trying to give you lessons because I'm not entitled to that. And the third thing is, I just would love for us to contribute publicly in prayer, to be confident to pray out loud and together, whether it's in your connect group, whether it's in the ministry you're serving, whether it's in a Sunday service, whether it's before or after the service. I just would love to have that sense of people being able to use their own voice. They need to, needn't be anybody else. They needn't be Barry and whatever her name was, you know, and be impressive. Or be, but they can have, be confident to use their own voice because they've got a voice and they've got a gift because everybody has a gift to pray and have that sense. So here are some practical things, and uh, I want to leave you uh, uh, these things. First of all, you know, for, for some, we're at different stages. As I said, prayer is a journey. It's a, it's a learning process, and naturally, of, right here, right now, we're at different stages in this journey. So for some people, it's just going to be a start. You've got to start. If you, you might have not known the password, so today you're learning the password, and you're starting to pray. And I'm saying, I'm cheering you on and saying, start, go for it. For other people, it's about picking it up. You, you might have prayed, but you've slacked off. Uh, and, and, and the encouragement from Jesus this morning comes and says, pick it up. And for other people, I'm just saying, keep it on. Keep it on. Don't give up. Keep growing in prayer because it is a learning process. I, if you want one thing that's going to fuel your prayer life, it, it is reading the scriptures. The more you read the scriptures and the more you see the wonderful God is revealed in the scripture, the more that's going to give you the confidence to come before you because you know that he's good and that he's great. That's why the two go hand in hand together. I'm encouraging you again just to join others. Like I was saying about a prayer meeting where I learned to pray. You will learn to pray. If you really want to learn to pray, but you don't go to anywhere, you don't connect with anything where it's prayer, it's going to be hard to learn how to pray. So I'm saying Come to the prayer meeting. We're going to meet this week. Once a month we meet in person at the center. All the other weeks we meet on Zoom. Frankly, one hour Saturday morning, it's hard to find an excuse to miss out if you want to grow in prayer. And I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to give it any more. Schedule planned intimacy. Those of you who are in a relationship, in a marriage, you know that this is key. And those two last things are absolutely important. There needs to be that scheduled intimacy in prayer. You need to put things on, times that you're going to devote clearly to prayer. Otherwise, you'll never, ever have time to pray. I'll guarantee you that. Satan is going to make sure that you're going to be always too busy, too distracted, and too tired to pray. I'm always amazed how I'm never too tired to watch matches of the day, 
But if there was a Saturday evening prayer meeting at 10.30 at night with the men in the church, I'm telling you, I would find 101 excuses. I'm too tired, I'm too this, I'm too that, I'm too that. And we need to challenge ourselves in that. Schedule planned intimacy. And then practice spontaneous intimacy. As you're driving in the car, you hear something on the radio that's breaking your heart, praying to that. These thoughts are coming in your, in, in your head. You know how you get anxiety, anxious thoughts about random stuff that's got nothing to do with anything and it just troubles your soul? Bring it before God. Let it flow into prayer. Don't, don't just either try to pretend it's not there or try to you know, uh, hide it and push it down. No, just bring it before God. Practice that sense of spontaneous intimacy with God at all times in bringing it before him. There's a phenomenal story of prayer that uh, Helen Rosaware, who was uh, w- one of the probably most prominent missionaries of all time, and it's one that I, I've heard, and probably those of you who've been in church for a long time would have heard it before. But there was a situation in Congo where she was serving as a missionary, and they had a, a, a situation where a mother on the mission station uh, uh, died after giving birth to a premature baby, and they tried to improvise an incubator, but they were very limited. They, the only hot water bottle they had was beyond repair. So they prayed for the baby and for her little sister, who, who was now an orphan. And one of the girls prayed this prayer. Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That very afternoon, true story. That very afternoon, the parcel arrived from England, and the children watched as they opened it, and to their surprise, under some of the clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed dug deeper into the parcel. This girl had faith. And you can imagine what was there. She was sure that God would provide the doll that she prayed for, and she was right. The heavenly father, that father Jesus talked about, He knew about the child's faith. Five months before, somebody in a prayer meeting, a ladies' prayer group in the church, had been praying, and one of them felt led to prepare a parcel with exactly those two items that had to be sent. That is what God does. And I'm waiting for stories more and more like that. As we draw near to him in intimacy. Amen. Just going to stay quiet as Dave and the band come back. Before they lead us in responding in worship. Just simply allowing God to draw us near to him. Holy Spirit, I pray that we wouldn't be stuck at the bottom of the mountain with the peak inside and a sense of being overwhelmed. But I pray that this morning and throughout the day and throughout the week, you would begin to reveal to every single one of us the very personal and individual steps we may need to take as we want to grow in intimacy with you. And we want to see greater displays of your power through our prayer life. So Lord, I pray that you will take us by the hand, each and every one of us, 
on this journey. Speaking to us individually. Showing us what's the next stepping stone that you want us to go onto. Pray that, Holy Spirit, you will fuel an incredible release of intimacy with God. An amazing ease to bring us before him at all times and be ready to listen to hear what his agenda is. I pray that you will make us an outstanding church in prayer. That you would accomplish great things in our lives and in the circles that surround our lives as well as in our local community through prayer. So that it's never anything about us and it's always everything about you. Amen.